we begin? Um, I'd actually like to get through the next two bardos this morning. I'd like to uh, get through Dream and uh, Diana uh, so that we can uh, make sure that we do Death, um, Dharmata and uh, Rebirth. It's just very easy to say these things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna do death, but today we're gonna do dream and Diana. So it might be a bit of a longer session this morning. So let's do the dream bardo. Um, going to sleep is very obviously a bardo, and in between, it's between two waking states. Um, when we sleep, waking life is taken away. Um, going to sleep from that point of view is rather like uh, dying. It's a good uh, preparation uh, for death. Uh, we let go of our hold on uh, waking life. So in that sense, sleep is a training for death. Uh, the whole idea in the um, with these Bardo verses is that we're uh, letting go uh, and maintaining awareness. And um, in the uh, uh, Door of Liberation seminar, <coughs> uh, in some of the material on the Kadampa precepts, Bhante is asked a question about how to practice in dream and sleep. And I think he actually says there that, and in North, and all, we, 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 there's a huge area of, li of our life where we don't practice, and that is sleep. Um, so and he was he was really quite um sort of strong on it you know the how you know what a shame that is that we don't use that time as an opportunity to practice and he recommended that uh you meditate as late as you can and then when you go to bed you you don't read or anything like that you lie down and you you try to maintain awareness through silently saying mantra uh in, internally so that you can take mindfulness into the sleep and and dream uh, state um, and of course in dream state actually you have a tremendous opportunity for profound uh, meditation uh, vision uh, insight even transformation I think I've had some of my I think deepest experiences actually in the sleep state or in, in the semi-waking state um, that's when things have sometimes really opened up. I remember one particular solitary retreat, which was particularly difficult in the waking state, but there was one very, very vivid semi-waking uh, experience because um, uh, I was just letting go. And uh, but there was uh, awareness. There was there, there was practice going on. So we're uh, uh, in the dream state. We're um, as it says in the text, um, Oh, now when the dream bardo upon me is dawning, abandoning the inordinate corpse-like sleeping of the sleep of stupidity. Mm. Wonderful words, almost biblical in their, in their resonance. Um, sleep generally is a symbol of ignorance and unconsciousness. Um, uh, very often, uh, s yes, the, the language of sleep is used to, to symbolise ignorance. Well, we're abandoning that. We're not going to waste time in that kind of sleep. Um, we're, not, we're not going to interrupt our practice in the sleep state. 
May the consciousness undistractedly be kept in its natural state. Um, there's this idea that in the, in the in these traditions of of Bardo that um, uh, there's there's sort of moment where you where you move into sleep where where you can where where you can experience um, the true nature of awareness. You know, without any distinction between self and other, and it's bright and luminous. That's what they mean by. Uh, the natural state um, you experience the way things are empty open and insubstantial but most of the time we, we just can't we're just not conscious of that our our mental states are too coarse especially if the last thing we've done at night is you know go on our twitter feed or you know get involved in a acrimonious uh, website or something like that uh, you're not going to see anything um no, you 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 relax into into what the into this natural open state, uh, grasping the true nature of dreams, grasping the true nature of dreams. So the instruction here is seeing, understanding, knowing that the dream is a dream. In other words, becoming lucid in the dream state and recognizing it as a dream. You're in the dream. You know you're dreaming. Um, I know some people have taken up lucid dreaming practice. Uh, it seems to be quite popular in some circles in the movement. It's very interesting talking to some people. I, I, I couldn't work out why they were doing it. It sounded very entertaining, but it didn't seem to have any purpose. The only reason for lucid dreaming is to gain enlightenment, uh, it, to utilize it for practice. It's not an end in itself. Um, so you're recognizing it as a dream so that you can actually practice the Dharma. May I train myself in the clear light of miraculous transformation. Now, these lines in Evans Wentz's, uh, Evans Wentz's translation are describing these four aspects of what they call dream yoga. Uh, so first of all, there is recognition. So you recognize this is a dream and I am dreaming. Secondly, there's the, the, the power of emanation, which uh, seems to mean that, that you, you realize that you can now direct the dream. You can mold the dream uh, so, that it, um, you know, so that it can uh, be part of your spiritual life. In other words, you're starting in the dream, you're starting to realize that this reality is malleable. Uh, you, can, you can mold it, you can change it. And thirdly, the third power is transformation. Uh, for example, uh, okay, now you know it's a dream, now you know that you can do something with it, so what do you do? Um, somebody asked Banti, what do you do when you realize that you're dreaming, should you meditate? They said, oh no, you can do that anytime. Um, <laughs> go to a pure land and ask for a teaching. That's what you do. I mean, if you recognize your dream, okay, you go to a Buddha. Don't, don't, don't do something, you know, ordinary like meditation or anything like that. You know, you can then really do something uh, amazing. But just be careful what you wish for. I mean, I've, in my early days, I can remember a couple of lucid dream moments. One was on a top bunk at, um, at Padmaloka, uh, in the very early days of Padmaloka, and I became aware that I was dreaming. 
And I thought, oh, good, I'll go and see Padmasambhava in Greta teaching. So the scene <coughs> changed, and I'm trudging up this, this mountain, and I know that round the corner, he's there. And just as I was about to turn the corner, I was overwhelmed with an absolutely overwhelming sense of terror. And I forced myself awake and more or less had a kind of fit on the top bunk and woke up everybody in the, in, in the dormitory. So you have to be ready, you know, if you're going to do this and you're going to go and meet Buddhas. Make sure I was not ready for the teaching, obviously. Uh, I won't tell you the other story I had of, of becoming lucid in dreams, but that's not for um, public uh, consumption. Um, involving vadras and all that sort of thing but um anyway uh so but you know the 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 idea is that you 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 change the scene so that you can actually have an encounter uh with a buddha you know this is this is uh i mean it's very very wonderful when you read some of the um uh accounts of great uh, tibetan visionaries you know their their sort of dream visions uh, which they're very uh, sort of dismissive of, you know, the, the great 13th Dalai Lama in his uh, secret uh, autobiography, he said, you know, not only have I been reborn in samsara and, um, you, know, the, you know, I'm fooled by the deceptions of samsara, I've also had dreams. I'm doubly deceived. But his dream visions are quite extraordinary, where he's... Where he's um, and it, uh, one of the things I think is important about these dream visions, it, it breaks through ideas that we know what we're talking about. For example, when we say the name Avalokiteshvara, we think, oh, he looks like this and he does this. In this, in this dream vision of the great 13th, he said, I, I, I became aware that I was dreaming. And there appeared a white boy wearing a blue robe. And I knew he was Avalokiteshvara. You know, no, no thousand arms or forearms or anything like that. Who took him by the hand and, you know, took him off somewhere and and so on and so forth. So you're entering into this very uh, fluid world, and it's very important, I think, that so where dreams, I think, can be really wonderful. That, you know, and and it, in some ways, it's best not to analyse them too much. I think there can be sort of fallacies to do with that, where you you just sort of savour the the ever changing sort of flow of. Um, of uh, you know of what's unfolding, but you can, as it were, use them to um, you know to make spiritual progress. So this is this is transformation, and then the fourth um, practice in dream yoga is what they call the prabhashvara, the clear light of the void. Realize that everything that the whole thing is empty. It's it's all a display of luminous emptiness. Um, and if you you know that that that's you know one of the most powerful things you can do in a dream is to recognise this is all luminous emptiness, um, you know and and of course this becomes a sort of uh, you know this is the the, the 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 metaphor for life itself. Life itself is like a dream. There's a vivid appearance. Uh, everything is 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 going on. There's not nothing. But it's uh, ever changing and insubstantial, and flowing on. Uh, you know the the you know I don't know if you can think back to, well breakfast. Um, you probably can think back to breakfast, but it's gone, isn't it? It's just vanished. You know, or how whatever was going on in meditation, whether it was a 
diabolical meditation or whether it was a visionary meditation that's gone it's vanished it's just like a dream just like last night's dreams um so it's it, you know it, it's important to meditate you know on this as as much as possible um acting not like the brutes in slothfulness uh you're a brute if you don't dream and if you don't practice in dreams uh, uh we're brutes if we don't imagine um uh, you know, but what did Bhante say in one of his aphorisms? If you don't dream, you become a monster. Um, there's this thing, isn't there, that, uh, you know, we we get on some of the, the men's uh, retreats. Um, at Papaloka, in mythic context, people turn up and say, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a mythic type. You know, I, I don't imagine anything. And Arlok is always very strong on this. He'd say, well, you couldn't be a human being if you didn't imagine you know that that's that's the na- part of the nature of being a human being is to imagine is to dream is to envisage you know our, our lives are are made up of stories we are a story uh, we're always mythologizing in 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 one way or another uh, so it's very important this whole side of things that 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 that, that we're we're in touch with that so may the ben- blending of the practicing of of the sleep state and waking experience be highly valued by me highly valued by me so we're trying to bring the richness of our dream life to our whole life not not by kind of you know trying to hold on to the dream that we had the night before that's gone but the whole richness of that sort of visionary experience or or, or it might just be fragments of of dream vision or something like that being in touch with that in, in, in life itself and especially trying to have this sense that, that life itself is, 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 is a magical transformation. That's what living in the Maya way, that's what living in the illusory way is like, full of wonder um, and infinite possibilities of transformation. Um, I think this is, this, this is one of the sort of... Um, sort of difficulties we can get into isn't it in our, in our dharma life when things get very sort of blocky i can't think of another word we're sort of i think it <laughs> describes my experience you know they're, they're sort of stuck um because i'm i'm sort of looking at them in very sort of black and white my life in black and white ways trapping myself in a particular way of seeing the world and if other people are doing that as well um it can get very very unpleasant and um you know, sometimes we can even start thinking, well, that's what the order is. But we need to, to, to realise that the, the true meaning of the order is to dwell in this realm of miraculous transformation. That's the most important thing, actually, um, that, we're, that we're all in that space, um, you know, with, with one another. And we overlap in so many ways uh, because, of, because of that. Um, so yes, so that's the the the, the dream uh, bardo. I mean, you notice it. I, one of the things I I particularly enjoy about solitary retreats is the sense of continuity between waking life and sleep um, and and dream life, and that sense of you know getting up the next morning and feeling that I haven't I haven't broken. The, the, the stream of practice somehow that the awareness on some level or other has carried on and, and I'm not starting again the next day I'm just 
carrying on that's that's a really lovely feeling as if there's more permeability if you like between waking life and dream and sleep um so that that that's what we're we're looking for okay let's go to the diana bardo uh could you flip it over please Bishop? Uh, so the Dhyana or Samadhi Bardo. Um, so Dhyana or Samadhi is a Bardo, a space uh, between or rather above and beyond the mind dominated by the mass of distractions and illusions. Uh, that's, that's the aim of meditation, to, to go beyond distractions and illusions. If you like, the, the Bardo of Dhyana or Samadhi is the space between uh, thoughts, if you like. That's, that's, that's what we're sort of opening up. Uh, the space that, that um, is, is outside of distractions and illusions. So um, the, the mass of distractions and illusions about oneself and the world, um, which of course means at first in meditation we really have to uh, confront ourselves in our world and be very clear and very honest uh, with ourselves. This this is very very important in 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 meditation practice. Not to sort of um, kid ourselves that we're something that we're that we're actually not. Um, you know, the guru um, is really a mirror, um, revealing your stark reality, um, your mass of distractions and illusions. That's what. The, the Padmasambhava does, that's what the teacher does, and that's what meditation uh, should be doing. I remember years ago, Bhante being asked about what was needed for intensive uh, long periods of meditation. He said, you, you need one or both of the following, uh, a real existential situation uh, to motivate you. Um, if you don't have the existential motivation, you, 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 you won't you won't be able to sustain it, and or a teacher who's really keeping you, uh, keeping you in it and keeping you on it, um, really, really looking at yourself. Quite an interesting uh, point. Um, so it's very, very important, I think, when it comes to meditation, self-honesty, um, and 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 no pretense. Um, it's a a thing that you have in the um, in the uh, Tibetan tradition where they talk about the yogi that that. A real yogi has absolutely no pretense, no fabrication about the nature of things and the nature of their of their mind, their consciousness. Um, and Trungpa Rinpoche said that he thought that Tibetans made good yogis because they're good peasants, um, because they're really earthed. Um, you know, they're not like a lot of us. You know, up in their heads and spacing out. They're really, really grounded and. I met Chatra Rinpoche um, a very, very long time ago um, in the 1970s, and you really felt that you were with somebody incredibly earthed. He was, he was sitting in this, it was like a sort of store room, which seemed to just be full of stacks of tankers and roopers. There wasn't a shrine. And he was sitting by this sort of open brazier, which people seem to have up in, you know, Darjeeling and, and Kalimpong. And, very, he, he wasn't grey then. He had uh, very, very short, cropped black hair and this in, incredible face. 
and it, and it was like it was like sort of meeting a sort of night watchman you know what I mean so you know, just, just sort of almost you know and I managed to kind of I managed to sort of communicate with him a bit and a young monk came to translate but he was so terrified he couldn't he couldn't <laughs> translate I mean it was anyway but also there was a rather mysterious figure in the room as well that just just to complete the story there was so there's Chuchul Rinpoche in this you know maroon woolen you know gown kind of growing out of the ground almost and I mean I did feel a bit of a nit I must say I didn't quite know why I was there but opposite him and sitting a bit higher up and I, I actually looking back I wonder if this person was a real person this incredibly beautiful Tibetan with very very glossy back hair black hair sort of plaited and wearing colorful um, a colorful chuba which is sort of sitting very very refined and Chapter Rinpoche would sort of look up at him and sort of explain something in Tibetan about my presence and this this figure just remained really serene and I thought that's a bit weird I wonder if he he was a real person um, anyway or am I just making it up am I deluding myself and we're talking about self-honesty anyway um, if you want to be a good yogi be a good peasant um, there you go so anyway um, abandoning the whole mass of distractions and illusions may the mind be kept in the mood of endless undistracted samadhi lovely words in this old translation may the mind be kept in the mood of endless undistracted samadhi samadhi here not in the sense of forced concentration but the, the full uh, unity of all the opposites other translations speak of uh, of this is um, may, may, may the mind be in boundless samadhi free from extremes boundless samadhi free from extremes the extremes being uh, without wavering or grasping uh, neither neither too too loose or too tight uh, free from the extremes yes of being too slack or too tight free from the extremes of existence and non-existence uh, boundless limitless without any definition uh, without any definition at all and the the encouragement is to is to uh, relax and stay in that state for as long as you possibly can just getting used to a completely sort of open space um, I was thinking about a conversation I had with somebody a bit back about the whole business of of you know stream entry and beyond and all that sort of thing and they were asking me what I sort of made of that and I said well yeah it'd be nice to kind of enter the stream and you know just kind of be flowing along to nirvana that 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 you know that would be you'd be good to sort of feel that way but I said there's another but there's another way of thinking I actually don't want to know where I am I mean my aim in, in meditation is not to know where I am I don't particularly want I, it, when it gets good it's when I've actually stopped thinking about being anywhere um it's like when you go for walks, you know, and you, you kind of know the route, don't you? But then you suddenly see another path or no path and you go and you start discovering and you don't know the territory or the terrain. That's a really wonderful feeling. Well, I think it's the same in, in the spiritual life. I'd rather not know. I'd rather not, in a sense, have that certainty. I would like 
you know, to have a, a, a kind of irreversible faith, you know, you know that, that that's their real shraddha. But, but act, actually where I am, in a way, that's, 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 that, I know that too much anyway in kind of mundane life. Why would I want that in something so creative and open as, as the Dharma life? So boundless samadhi, um, beyond all extremes, it reminds me a bit of Bhante's definition of dhyana. Dhyana is not a state in which we are, but a state in which we reorganize our being. A very interesting insight that, 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 that dhyana isn't a sort of static, fixed thing uh, in any way. That's the aim. And then we have the method. The next line is may firmness both in the visualizing and in the perfected stages be obtained. May firmness both in the visualizing and the perfected stages be obtained. So this is a tantric distinction, two kinds of practice. Uh, firmness here means being established in, really establishing yourself in these, in these two phases of practice. The first stage of practice, what... what uh, Evan French translates as visualizing is, is better translated as uh, developing or, or even better creation. It's the utpatikrama, the utpatikrama, the creation or developing stage. So this is when you're doing your sadhana, this is the production of the Buddha or Bodhisattva, whether it's a self production, whether it's an out there production or above your head. Uh, whatever form it takes, whether it emerges from a seed syllable, whether it's all there uh, immediately, um, whether you build it up slowly, that's all utpatikrama. It's, it's, it's the imagination, uh, the creative imagination unfolding, uh, as well as the mantra recitation, all the things that go on. That's all utpatikrama. You're, you're developing a whole a world, if you like, which you're, you're going to inhabit. It's, it's, it's a bit like what we were saying about dream. You know, that when you're aware that you're dreaming, you can mould the dream. Well, it's the same, actually. This space you're trying to get into in Utpatikrama is a space in which you, you, you can mould and the, the, the reality uh, around you and, and within you. Um, and that, you know, there's probably lots more one could say about that, but that's the basic idea. Um, yes, so, uh, but then you uh, also have the perfected or the perfecting stage or the completion stage, the sampana krama. Sampana means something like perfected or completion. And this, of course, is the dissolving away and the just sitting. It's the complete uh, letting go uh, of all uh, development and uh, you know opening up to if you like you could say the real uh, deity which uh, doesn't have any particular uh, form or structure um, in, in uh, uh, just a bit about the Padmasambhava sadhana um, and its conclusion uh, in, in, the, in the text that, that Bhante transmitted he just says after you the hung goes in thus received one sits absorbed he deliberately keeps it completely open um, but um, 
when I took up that practice, I was also doing alongside it uh, Guru Yoga, which ends with um, after you've dissolved the the the, the Guru into in, into the light of great bliss, and uh, you're dissolved as well. It instructs you to uh, remain for as long as possible in a state of heartfelt devotion. So I wrote to Panti and I said, well. Is there a conflict? I thought the whole idea at the end of a practice is that you let go. You're just absorbed, you let go. And yet the instruction in the Guru Yoga is you stay in a state of devotion. He said there is no conflict between these two. Um, didn't say anything more about that. There is no conflict. But then he said, or oh, you could quite simply do this. And it's an instruction I still follow at the end of and I think it probably applies to any sadhana, one remains without trying to remain in a state of enjoying the fruits of the practice. It's a very, very good teaching. One remains without trying to remain in a state of enjoying the fruits of the practice. Um, just a few words. Enjoyment, notice. Uh, fruits. Um, uh, remaining but no effort effortlessness uh, it's interesting as well um, on this business of devotion I think I mentioned it the other day um, years ago I read um, uh, Shen Pen Hukum's book uh, The Buddha Within uh, which is uh, quite, a, quite a hefty uh, study of um, Buddha nature Tathagatagarbha um, tradition particularly in uh, the Indian tradition, but also a, 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 a late Tibetan commentary on, on an Indian text. Um, but she's talking, she's talking there about faith and devotion as an alternative way of, of, of describing, uh, if you like, wisdom, um, you know, very much along the lines of, of, of Bhante's point that faith is the emotional equivalent of, of insight. Uh, but I, there was one particular phrase that really struck me in that where she said the highest aspiration of a kagyu or nyingma uh, yogin is for natural and uncontrived devotion the highest aspiration of a nyingma or kagyu yogi is for natural and uncontrived devotion so you have all the intense you know, we're doing the padmasambhava sadhana so to really get into your devotion when you're when when you're doing that, really open up to that with all the form. Then at the end, you completely let go of the form, but let as it were the faith and devotion just be uncontrived, be natural without any sort of focus, if you like. See that where where that takes you. Uh, that's the opening up. You don't have to think of shunyata. You don't have to do any sort of extra reflection. Let, 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 let the, as it were, the devotion, the faith and devotion, as it were, carry you into that, into that space. That, so that's, you know, the Sampanakrama, the, the, the completion, the perfection stage. There are, I should just say, just for the sake of completeness, you will find other descriptions of Sampanakrama which bring in all sorts of internal yogic things, but I, I don't know anything about those, so I can't, um, you'll have to you know look all that up or talk to somebody so then there's a, an exhortation after this uh, at this time 
when meditating one-pointedly, with all other actions put aside, may I not fall under the power of misleading, stupefying passions. So here's, here's a really strong exhortation. So uh, one-pointedness is ekagrata, um, you know, uh, one-pointed in the sense of everything is flowing uh, in in the direction um, as it were that we want it to. Um, we're completely absorbed. There's a full absorption, if you like, of all uh, energies. Uh, all our other activities are put aside. There's no uh, busyness going on. Activity is an interesting word because, of course, it covers gross activity, but it, but it probably also includes propuncture. Uh, the, the word propuncture actually means... Um, uh, one of its meaning is employment. Um, it's not just proliferation. It means that you're busy, uh, mentally uh, busy. That's all gone. There's none of that. Um, so, but in this state, you still need to have some vigilance, um, some alert mindfulness at this time when meditating one-pointedly with all other actions put aside. May I not fall under the power of misleading, stupefying passions? Um, because the kleshas, that's what the stupefying passions are, are just waiting to strike. They're waiting to strike. And of course, and it's Mara is waiting to strike. And often it can be to do with just that little thought, wow, I'm meditating. Hey, hey, it's all opening up. And as soon as you have that thought you're off the bike aren't you you know you you fall and you know the the the, the glaciers are there um shanti deva uses this incredible expression uh at the end of his uh, dhyana paramita uh section uh he talks about you, you we have to realize that we're dwelling between the fangs of glacier that's an incredible image so there's this monster and the fangs of glacier are sort of you know, ready to strike. So you've got to sort of keep that 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 vigilance, that alertness, and you know. So don't get intoxicated in meditation. Don't feel conceit and pride. Uh, don't get self-deluded about yourself. Um, you know, and it's it, 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 this is where it, it's very very important that our initial uh, when when we when we before we meditate, it's very very important that we form a very, very strong right motive. Uh, this is emphasized again and again in the tradition that, that you're meditating to go forth uh, from uh, Klesha. You're meditating for the benefit of all beings. Um, and you need to remind yourself of that uh, motivation. Of course, some of us you know, don't get anywhere near deep meditation, but some people do. So it's, it's very important to remind yourself of of your motivations and, and so you don't get caught by Klesha. Um There's a, a lovely story that Paramata tells of going to see uh, Chatra Rinpoche and uh, he was asking him about the best way to meditate on Amitabha and Rinpoche um, uh, was uh, asking how many mantras he did when he did the practice and after Paramata answered, Chakra Rinpoche said, the most important thing for success in meditation is to always do it for others. 
Uh, he didn't give any kind of techniques, no fancy, you know, mental stuff. Do it for others. Come back to the bodhicitta, to the altruistic uh, motivation. Okay, uh, we've we've done the two I wanted to do, so we'll stop there uh, today. Um, so we've had a look at dream, and we've had a look at Diana. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well done, kid. Tomorrow, death. <laughs> <laughs>